0: We are in Numbers chapter 11. To set the stage, Moses is in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And they are at a point of complaint, frustration. They're complaining about the manna, that that's all they have to eat. And God blesses them in such a way that not only are they blessed, he teaches them a lesson about what happens when you moan and complain about the provision of God. But one of the other things that happens in this chapter is it was suggested to him that he needed, for the sake of organization, and because of the numbers that, were, that they were dealing with, that they needed to divide the children of Israel up into groups. So they created 70 groups and put 70 elders over each group so that Moses could express this, get the word out to them quicker, and have some degree of organization within this multitude of people. So the organization has been put in place, but I think it is particularly interesting what happens when Moses calls these 70 elders together, 70 individuals who you can understand the potential if you're going to establish 70 leaders over such an enormous group of people that very quickly you could have one group pitted against the other. Very quickly, there could could be a great deal of self-interest. It could become very political. So we understand what that suggestion of the 70 elders could have done. So what could be done about it to change this story? So we pick up the story as Moses calls these 70 elders together. Numbers 11, verse 24. And Moses went out and told the people the the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. So basically he's called a meeting of these 70 elders. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took of the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. So let's just stop right there for just a second. How do you get 70 leaders? How do you get 70 individuals now in charge of multitudes of people? What would you do to get them on the same page? What would you do to connect their hearts together so that they would see the good of everyone and not just the group that they were trying to lead? What is the one way? Because if we get it then... We will know it is exactly the same for us now. What did it take for them to have that commonality? The Holy Spirit. That Spirit which was on Moses. That Spirit that God had given him to lead. What's done in that moment, and I think it's a remarkable picture, because it doesn't destroy his leadership. As a matter of fact, it establishes something here that says that Spirit that was upon him was absolutely big enough. To be divided 70 times, to not diminish Moses at all as their leader, but to absolutely get everybody on the same page. What will it take for pastors across America? What would it take for churches across America and around the world? What will it take to get us on the same page? The same thing. It will not be done without the acceptance, because it doesn't say here, we know the outcome, But for these 70 elders, they not only were given that gift of the Spirit, they received that gift of the Spirit. We are in trouble. We are very divided. And the healing of that division will never come. Absent this moment that's described here in this first verse, in verse 25, And the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him, spake unto Moses, and took of the Spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders, and it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. What do you think happened in the prophecies? What do you think was the great evidence of those prophecies? Do you think they were fragmented? No, they be- those prophecies were establishing something for all of them that would be a point in front of them that they could all connect to, that they all heard, So that what was in front of them became bigger than the politics and the issues and the divisions that could ever arise. Why are we in trouble? We've identified one, that that the Holy Spirit has not been accepted in rest to create the unity that God had intended. What else is, is happening here? Why can't we get together? Because if we don't have a prophetic future spoken over us, if we don't have a point of reality in front of us that's bigger than anything else, we will keep reinventing this current moment that we're in. That's what's happening in church today. Why has church changed so much? Well, it has to keep up with the times because if there is no prophetic future, reinventing the present is all we've got. So we have to change it. We have to market it differently. We have to change a little bit so it will become more pleasing. Because if somebody else becomes more pleasing, the group that is sitting in front of us will go somewhere else to chase that which is new or modern or better. We're understanding here, so there's a message about what it takes to move a great people to the promise that they had been given. So they prophesied and did not see. But there remained two of the men in the camp. When you start reading right there, it's like, oh no, two didn't get it. We naturally make that move to, oh no, there's two that remained in the camp. The name of, of the one was Eldad. Maybe that's why he stayed in the camp. <laughs> Maybe that name was just too embarrassing. He said, I'm not going. I put up with this long enough. I'm not going. And the name of the other was me, (laughs) Dad. It sounds like something that grandchildren would make up to call their granddads. Because they couldn't say what they were supposed to say. And the Spirit rested upon them. And they were of them that were written, but went not out into the tabernacle. And they prophesied in the camp. So here are two men. ...who are standing out, who this moment changed dynamically and not for the negative. These are two men that are being recognized above in within that 70... ...that have heard and received the Spirit of God and the evidence is resting upon them. So when it says there were two that remained, where my mind normally goes and says, oh no, there's going to be trouble... ...what you suddenly realize is that there are two here who above and beyond the others receive something... Dynamic and unique. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. The others were in the tabernacle. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. So here's this moment, again, something powerfully unique, in what we learn about the organization that God set up, still led by Moses, but now with 70 people directly under him, and how in the world could he maintain unity among them? Well, the answer immediately is he couldn't. That's a job that only the Spirit of God could do. Only that Spirit could speak one common truth. Only that Spirit could give one witness. So we understand what was done. The the other again, just that powerful reality that they began to prophesy so that they had a reality in front of them greater than just the moment that they were in. But it's an interesting question where I really want to speak tonight. is what happened in Joshua, down in the story. Because here are two people who are now standing out and probably in the moment looked more dynamic, looked to be a threat, in his eyes, to replace Moses. So out of his in, probably good intentions, he comes to Moses and says, got, you know, Moses, you have to forbid them from doing this. And the question that Moses asked Joshua when he said, Envious thou for my sake? Are you concerned about me? One of the things, and it's a very, very quick thing, but one of the things that kills spiritual leadership is ego. And it will do it very, very quickly. I can tell you today there would be nothing that pleased me more than for young preachers to rise out of this church that will someday, according to God's time and place, would replace me. I would not be at all threatened by God's dynamic move among young men and women, to the degree that someone might say, Well, that's somebody's a better preacher than me. If I could ever see a day where that would bother me, I don't need to be in this pulpit at all, even today. Because ego, and that's what Joshua was dealing with. Yes, there was probably some good intentions in it. It kills ministry, and it will kill our spiritual life if ego gets in the way. But really what Moses was telling Joshua, and this has to happen, whether you're a pastor every day, a missionary every day, or a missionary for a short time during the year whether you're an evangelist or a counselor. This statement is true every single time. You cannot fuel your ministry with you. Get it? With you. You cannot fuel your ministry with you. I've watched many try, and I've watched pastors, and you've seen them as well, who take long sabbaticals because of the weariness of what they're having to do every day. And they just get tired and they get tired and they get tired. And I can't judge them. I can't assess them. But I can tell you that the reason that that happens, and it was made very clear by Ray and Amanda when they were out here last time and I'm laying on the floor of my office, that if I ever start trying to fuel this ministry with me as the fuel something's going to happen very quickly, I will be consumed and ready to give up. If I become the fuel, the fire won't last very long. Wherever you go, wherever you minister, if you start offering somebody you, the first thing that will happen is they will become attracted to you. They will start making over you. What happens when you leave, what you're offering them goes with you. Even in short-term ministry, if I don't offer someone the Holy Spirit, then I have no ability to give them anything eternal or everlasting. I give them the satisfaction of getting to know who I am, and I might take them a gift or I might spend time with them, and they become enamored with me, and i leave, and they wait for the next person to come, and they never got attached nor connected to the Holy Spirit because I was offering something. This is one of these great difficulties in ministry, especially short-term ministry like us going to Africa this summer. We have to remember The God did not say, go and make a difference. That is not a biblical or scriptural teaching. If you hear somebody say it, let your antenna go up. Let the warning flags be raised when somebody says, we're going somewhere to make a difference. Find it for me. What does he say? Go ye therefore, preaching and teaching. Doing what? Making disciples. I want to tell you, there's a powerful difference between making a a difference and making a disciple. What's the big difference? What has to happen if you're going to make a disciple? You're going to have to walk with them. You're going to have to realize, I'm investing more than just a few minutes, a few hours with the person. I can make a difference there. I will not make a disciple. If I'm going to make a disciple, I have to offer them something eternal and everlasting, and something temporal that I might bring to them. We are notorious for wanting to make a difference. It's not what like God said, I want you to make a disciple. So what happens when we go to make a difference? Yeah, we get satisfied and they get damaged. It's a hard lesson, but I can go and read it. Go ye therefore, teaching, preaching, making disciples. Don't let anybody trick you to believe that you're going somewhere to make a difference. If You're going to offer them anything, you're going to have to offer them the Holy Spirit. So Moses is warning Joshua, telling him, because he knows who Joshua is. We talked last week about how we create a legacy for the next generation. Well, Moses knew that Joshua was that next generation. He would watch Joshua rise. He would see that mantle handed to him when it was taken from him. His responsibility was in these moments to say something to Joshua that would make sure that Joshua knew so that he could stay within himself. As for me in my house, We will praise the Lord. Something is making a great difference within his life. And this is that moment, powerful moment, when Moses says, Joshua, whatever you do, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't fuel this with you. The second thing that happens, Joshua learns how easy it is and how quickly you can allow your agenda to get in the way of the work of God in, in the Holy Spirit. Why was Joshua concerned here? Why would he go say to Moses, forbid them to do it? What difference did it make to Joshua? Who was Joshua hanging around with? He was in the presence of the one that God says, I want you to lead this group. Joshua held a unique position with Moses. He was kind of in all ways Moses' right-hand man. Who was present when the tabernacles were given to Moses? Joshua. Who came down with the when he was carrying the tabernacle? Who came down to see the sight that they saw when they were dancing around the golden calf? Who was with Moses in that moment? It was Joshua. What did this mean in this moment for Joshua when all of a sudden, there, instead of there just being one right-hand man, now he is one of 71? And what was happening here? There were two who were becoming more dynamic than he was. There were two who were demonstrating things that would have allowed them to be certainly recognized, appreciated, and to see the dynamic of what they were doing. And who did it affect? Because Moses makes it very clear, it does not affect me. And Joshua is saying, and that's what he asked him, are you jealous for my sake? What's the answer that Joshua knows that he's supposed to get? No, I'm jealous for my own sake. Joshua's agenda, what he saw happening in this moment, was getting in the way of what the Holy Spirit was doing. We had two people who not only were prophesying in the tabernacle, where everybody else was, but these two renegades had stepped out and were out in the community prophesying. And Joshua said, that is not our plan. That's not what we're about. And he asked his boss to stop it. And Moses said, no. I'm not about to. So Joshua had to learn that his agenda, what his plans are, can never get in the way of what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And I want to tell you again, I don't have to go very far down this. For us to recognize what's happening within the Christian culture today that has us in such a difficulty. Because most churches have their own agenda. I came out of the corporate world and I was trained for a year and then for three years... I was an internal consultant, going team by team, group by group, in plants and field operations, management in Houston, going team by team, trying to help them become more efficient and effective in the way that that, that they functioned, And we were very good at it. But one of the most unusual things that happened was that I began to see within the Christian culture those very same things being plugged into church. And the very first thing I recognized was when churches started putting up mission statements where they get that? Came straight out of the corporate world. Vision statements. Putting organizations in place to make sure that that mission statement gets done. Connecting all the dots so that everybody's connected to the mission statement. Well, I want to tell you what began to happen was that the agendas of the corporate world began to infiltrate as practical realities within the church. And the damage was remarkable. Because I want to tell you most churches have missed the mission statement. If you're going to have one... At least make it be true. Most of the things that we would put up on the wall, we would have to say, that well, that's actually impossible. Because the only way for that to happen is for Christ to be in me. The only way that I can honor Him is through my obedience. So he had to learn how ego kills. He had to learn how his agenda got in the way. And then this third point. He also had to learn that God can't be packaged. You can make your own application based on your own illustrations. But we have packaged and repackaged God to the degree that we are trying our best to get Him in some way to be pleasing to the group that is the most resistant. It's interesting in Matthew chapter 13 that when we come to the parable of the seeds and the soil, what changes in that story? What different types of what? Soil. Does the seed ever change? No. What's happening in the Christian world? We keep changing the seed. Because we see the soil as one thing. What's happening? Why do we know that we kind of have this backwards in this packaging of God? It's because you look around at how many plans, how many strategies, how many teams there are in churches trying to figure out how to repackage the message so that we can hit this audience and somehow make the message of God pleasing to them so they'll buy it. And the Word of God says never. I'll never change the seed. I recognize the difference in people, but I will not repackage the seed trying to make it pleasing because how ludicrous can we be to believe that I can somehow package God to make Him pleasing to somebody that doesn't want to believe? So what am I selling them? I'm selling them church. I'm selling them on my personality. I'm selling them on some program that's beneficial to them, that we magically have something that is going to entertain their kids and turn them into Christians. And we offer that to them and realize there's not a chance in the world that we can deliver on what we're promising. It's done all the time. And you find somebody that's got it packaged well, and you see the crowd move to the new package until somebody else packages it better. And somebody will. Competition is too great. New teams, new strategies, new ideas. How can we repackage this? And with every time we repackage it, we take away the righteousness of God expected in us Because that's what's required of the seed. It is his righteousness found in his children. And that story will never change. So Joshua had to learn that what God was going to do in this moment, because he would have been perfectly fine if all 70 of those men had stayed in that tabernacle and prophesied. What he couldn't handle was these two that didn't do what they were supposed to do. He couldn't handle that somebody was moving outside of what he thought Moses had established. So if Moses is going to be replaced with Joshua, then Joshua needs to learn to be constantly listening to God for himself. He was trying to do what we all try to do. He was trying to get everyone to conform to something that was fixed in his head. What happens when we do it? We package God. We shape him, form him, do something in him and through him that looks like us and doesn't look much like God at all. I remember in a message that Scott Laps preached here many years ago. And he was talking about church, that we have created church in our image. And it is unbelievably true. Why do we sing what we sing? What was the song that they sang before they left the upper room? Why did they sing that particular song? Was it because it was the music they liked? Or was it because in the presence of Jesus they were going to sing that which was pleasing to the Father? Our music in church reflects our desire, our preference. How we express ourselves, hands raised, feet moving, kids dancing, whatever's happening. Or everybody's in the pew, in their place, hands tucked, singing what they're supposed to sing. That reflects what we prefer. And the thing that I love about Jay's leadership is he does not begin anything purposed from within his heart. Until he visits the Holy Spirit. Until he can truly say that this is what the Holy Spirit laid. And I can tell you, like when I preached last Sunday on finding a new message, it was just like, how in the world could he have known what I was going to say so that that song would be the first one? The whole set. Who can do that? Who is the only one who can do that? The Holy Spirit. I'm studying that lesson last night. And I'm sitting there amazed. That what He was giving me about the Holy Spirit. And then those first words of blessed assurance hit me. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Just they're studying that that Lord's Supper is the rehearsal dinner for a wedding that's coming tomorrow. And how in that Lord's Supper, we are supposed to be in, in a full rehearsal of what it's going to be like. How are we supposed to walk into His presence? How are we supposed to enter into His presence? What's it going to be like? That what happens here when we take the bread and the cup is a rehearsal, and that song hits me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That whole song told that story. Had never seen it before, had never appreciated it before like I had then. But the simple recognition that if I have an agenda for this church, if Jay has a desire to perform instead of follow the Holy Spirit, then what will happen very quickly and it will be very, very evident, is that the Holy Spirit will have no part in what's going on. Have no interest in hanging around where ego and agenda and packaging is occurring. You want to ask Him to exit quickly. Let those things be found in the leadership and in the membership. Because ego says, I prefer me over Him. My agenda says, I prefer my plan over His. And the packaging says, I've got to somehow make Him pleasing. To the people who do not want Him. I don't have many opportunities to experience church somewhere else. But I can tell you one of the more interesting things that happens when I do. I mean, I can name some exceptions very, very quickly. But when I go into those places, it is almost impossible for me to sing. I cannot get it to come out. When it has been manufactured, I cannot get it to come out. There's nothing in me that's connecting because the Spirit is not filling that worship. I love going to churches where hymns are sung and they're beautiful and, they're the, and you know that the Spirit of God has been placed in the heart of the leader and you can tell it's, 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 everything about it is an act of obedience. It's not the types of songs that I can connect with but when the Spirit of God is missing it's almost impossible for me to sing. Let's pray and we'll go. Lord, thank you for this relationship that you had with Moses that made it so clear that he knew Because it says so clearly that you first talked to him. He knew what was coming. He wasn't threatened when the spirit that you had given him was divided among the 70. He understood. He knew that it was you who called him into that position. And it was you and you alone who could maintain him in that position. And his ego, his agenda, or his plans would have only gotten in the way. So Lord, we thank you for this witness. We thank you for the reminder because this, this isn't just a message to the church on how a church should behave. This is a message to us individually as Christians. Even to be able to say, God, I thank you for using me it's, it's It's interesting that even in that comment we elevate ourselves in a strange backdoor humility. We thank you and acknowledge ourselves and I pray, Lord, that we would be aware And that we would be ever mindful that the glory doesn't get shared in any way. You did it. You do it. So we thank you, Lord. We just thank you for the reality of this message. The correction of Joshua so that he would know. So that he would understand as he makes this change. To soon become the leader of this massive group. That his heart would be right. That his understanding of you would also be a situation where he wasn't threatened we could actually allow you to move according to your plan and purpose and not one that he had determined. So thank you, God, for this reminder tonight. Thank you for each one that's here. We thank you again today for our mothers, for our wives, for those women who have made our our story so dynamically different. We thank you for them and just speak blessing over them in Jesus' name. Amen.